Hello, I'm Paul. I'm Adam. And I'm Ben. And welcome to the Film Busters Podcast. The film show with no filters, no prisoners taken, loads of disagreements, but one hell of a love for cinema. If you want to hear three friends ridiculing each other for an hour or so regarding their taste in films, then you have come to the right place. In each episode, one of the team picks a film for us to discuss. It could be anything from a recent cinema release to an all-time classic. So, strap in and get ready to get mad or get vindicated as we guide you through the murky world of being a film geek. If you like what you hear, you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram using at Pod. You can also find each of our individual accounts. I'm at FilmBustersPaul. I'm at FilmBustersAdam. And I'm at FilmBustersBen. If you want to use your eyes instead of your ears, you can also visit the website at filmbusterspod.co.uk and if busting makes you feel good you can also support us at patreon.com forward slash filmbusters for exclusive content alright can we just get on with this now please filmbusters what is your favourite April Fool's absolutely no punch no punch whatsoever <laughs> same what same is your favourite April Fool's <laughs> what, say, what is your favourite trick I want to know something boys yeah. Now we've just started. We've started it. That's all you're getting. Do your podcast host voice, Adam. Imagine you I were the podcast, do a podcast host. host. I do a podcast sideman. You did it once before. I heard it. So, lads, what's your favourite April Fools? Oh, that's too much. That's that too much. That was incredibly <laughs> knobbish. <laughs> well, I tell you, let me have a think. April Fools. <sighs> I always think of the Simpsons episode. That's the one I always think of when he he shakes up. Homer's beer too much and it blows up the house. Yes, that's a good one on telly. That didn't happen to you, yeah. I've only, I've got I've got a um, I've got an April Fools. I've got a February Fools. See, this is <laughs> completely derailed already. <laughs> but it's a good story. You just fall down the stairs. This is related to April Fools. It's not related to April Fools, but it relates to being fooled. Go on, mm, listeners, will we allow it? Well, you know I'm the one who breaks the rules on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Go on then. It was once upon a time at my birthday. Oh, yes. And we're all at all we can eat restaurant. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it was like a world food buffet thing, wasn't it? Yes, it was a world food buffet. And then both Ben and Adam decided to give my birthday card, which inside had a uh, scratch card in. So, I was not involved in this, by the way. This was Adam. I thought you were both involved in this. No, this was, was an just Adam me. one. Hey, Ben does not want to take the flat for this. <laughs> so, so it all happened. It all crescendoed at a very like big moments. We just decided to all do at it. Once. Like yes. we didn't know this part was happening. No. So I was opening my card. I got out of the scratch card. I was like, "Oh, scratch card. Let me scratch the card." Just while I'm doing it, the cake comes out. Happy birthday to you. Everyone's singing. I'm standing up like, oh, it's my cake. But I've also just won 50 grand or something no, on this scratch card. 250 grand. 250 grand on this scratch card, which I would, I'd been pay, like, paying off all my mortgage in my head. And I was like, <laughs> how can everyone be singing happy birthday to me right now when I've just literally won all this money? This you is literally the did the ever. last scratch as the cake came yes. out. So your yes. face couldn't have timed it better. Yeah. And I was like, Zoe, we've won £250,000. That is what I remember the most from because I was sat opposite you, and I remember seeing you completely disinterested in this cake, and you were like, "Oh my god, oh my god, sorry, sorry." And she was like, "I I was so confused as why she wasn't as excited as I was." But did she know? No, she didn't know. No, she didn't know. But she was also like, 
This I think you're the only real. person, in, you and Jenny are the only people in real. the room. <laughs> That's funny. And so, yes. No. After I'd made a fool of myself thinking I'd won, it was then that Adam told me that it was fake. And yeah. it was the most disappointing feeling <laughs> I could have oh, ever mate. had. I've given them to a lot of people, Paul, and only <laughs> you and my sister's boyfriend have really thought it was happening. Yeah, but do you know why? Because people, like, your matey crowd obviously know that it's all about pulling tricks all the fucking time and scamming, so you would yeah, never you trust a scratch card. you always give it to people in, like... Uh, like, if you, we do a secret Santa and I gave one then, like, as part of a present, like, you wrap it up into other stuff, so it's like... And I, and I put real scratch cards in it. I put a real scratch card in it for Paul as well, I think. Did he give know, you a real you? one to soften the blow? I don't remember. I don't think so. There should have been... I normally put, like, two fake ones in there, and then... He, this is how many times he does it, everyone. <laughs> oh, he's such a liar, this guy. <laughs> he's such it's a fun. liar. But it was it was fun to uh, it was all worth it was, when you get moments like it this. It was a fun memory to look back on, but at the time I was very upset. Was it your birthday? Yes. Yes. It was I can my only birthday. Imagine. I can oh, only imagine it's fine. the disappointment. It's fine. When you think you're spending, when you when in your head you're spending that money. I was like, this is a game changer, mate. <laughs> this is a game changer. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that was my my foolish February. That's what we that, call it. That's a good one. That's mm. a good one. I'm trying to think got, of um, got any April Fools? I don't think I do. This I is very really disappointing. Do April Fools here, do we? My granddad used to do April Fools, and I can't really remember any of them. But they were always like silly little ones. But he would always do them. I think it's hard to April Fool people nowadays because everyone makes such a big deal online about it that you're constantly mm. on guard for anything. You're so you're so aware that it's first of April. Nowadays, yeah. it's just more like statements from celebrities, like the like Frank Bruno fighting Jake Paul <laughs> kind of shit, or like I've retired, or like all that kind of stuff. Well, my uncle did a good one yesterday, actually, on uh, his LinkedIn. He's got a comp; he, he owns his own company, uh, mm. contracting fit outs and whatnot. And um, on LinkedIn, he posted that they were moving into the energy drink market, and he had like pictures all branded <laughs> up of these energy drinks and stuff. But it was like a completely serious post. Very good. Yeah. To do it on LinkedIn as well, that's pretty special. I know, that's, yeah. <laughs> to do it on LinkedIn, you're, you're punking all your professional colleagues. <laughs> that's the way to do it, I think, nowadays. That's the way to do it. <laughs> that's how Punch and Judy said. Anyway. Oh, yeah. You got nothing, Adam? You're the one who asked this question. I just, I would thought we were going for ones that we've seen in television and stuff. Which is why I said the Simpsons one. You didn't even explain the Simpsons. I don't even know what the Simpsons one is. He at home at Bart gets Homer a beer, but he puts he goes to like a, t- a work sh- like a tool shop, and they have like a thing that you shake up the paint with, and he puts oh, yeah, the yeah. beer in the paint thing for like an hour, like it's like a stupidly long period of time, and then he gives it to Homer, and Homer opens it, and when he opens it, he blows up the house. Yeah, <laughs> and literally as he opens it, Bart goes April Fool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then he gets, like, sent away, doesn't he, in the rest of the episode? Yeah, I think he gets sent to military camp, maybe? Yeah. Anyway, this is not The Simpsons podcast. All right, so uh, before we move on to getting towards what we're talking about today, which is Waking Fright from 1971, let's just say we've got a Patreon channel at www.patreon.com forward slash filmbusters where we have exclusive content. We have a wonderful family over there. You get to come on the show. You get to suggest episodes we do on the main show and also patron episodes as well. And what patron episode are we doing today, Adam? We are going to talk about our favourite teacher protagonists in film. And who suggested this? 
our teacher, Jamie Russell. Our wonderful teacher, Jamie Russell, who also suggested Waking Fright, and he is kicking off the 1971 round today. Yes. He is, 1971. Hmm, baby, baby. We haven't uh, had any 70s rounds yet, have we? No, I don't think we have. This is exciting. Into a brand new decade. Let's see what we get out of these films. See what we get. I'm excited for 1971. Hell yeah. Um, We were in the 50s for a hell of a long time, weren't we? I know, we were. (laughs) A hell of a long time. (laughs) It was a very long time. We might be in a long time for this one because we actually have uh, an extra film at the end of this round because we've got another patron suggesting another 71 film. So at least five films from 1971. Yes, it is five, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen more than it should have been, but yes, it is five. Five films from 1971. Do you want some facts about stuff that happened in 1971? Oh, yes. Yes, please. So here's the state of the world in 1971, boys and girls. The Walt Disney World theme park opened in Florida in 1971. Really? And still going strong 52 years later. You been to Disney? You been to Disney World? I've been to Disney Paris. I haven't been to Disney World. I went when I was a little boy. Yeah. I went in 93 and in 96. Oh, which one did you prefer? Very good. They were both different for different reasons. Do you remember the 93 one? You don't I really do. remember the 93 one, really, you? I remember the do 93 you? one very well, because when you're that age and you go, suddenly go and you see an E.T. and everything, I remember being on the E.T. ride, and at the, the end, one. before you go on the E.T. ride, as you're queuing up... Hello, Ben. Yes, exactly. They take your name, <laughs> don't they? And yeah. then at the end, they get E.T. to read it out. So I remember that one distinctly. And then from 96, I remember the Jaws ride most of all, because that was incredible. Very good. Incredible. Anyway, um, the evil, evil education secretary, Margaret Thatcher, ended free school milk for children over the age of seven in the UK. Jesus, what a bitch. What a bitch. What a bitch. The sentencing of Charles Manson and his followers for the Tate-Labianca murders took place. Mm-hmm. Oh, all shit. the court cases, all of that. Playing Helter Skelter in the courtroom. It was the year that did Charles they? Manson went into everyone's is that, the, is that the year the, court, the case started and finished? Or does it go I don't on know if it started years? and finished. I think it was a pretty quick case, but he was sentenced that year. So if it. Oh, right, sentence. Even though I think what, what he did was in the late 60s, or what they did was in the late 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, the anti Vietnam War protest took place in Washington, D.C., which was the largest ever protest at, to that point. I don't know if that's still the case. Opposing a U.S. war. Half a million people marching in Washington, D.C., and 150,000 people in San Fran. How'd you like that? I like it very much. Uh, British Summertime. The British Summertime experiment was dropped in the UK, and the experiment was to have British Summertime all year round. So there was no Greenwich Mean Time. But they dropped that what? in 1971. As in they and don't, now change, we have it as they don't have, take it back yeah, or forward an hour. You mean? Exactly. Just leave it All on right. British summertime the whole time. Mm. They changed that in 71. So it's GMT and BST. We just changed our clocks last weekend. Mm. Did it's very it's topical. so much better now. It's a little bit of sunshine in the air. It's all beautiful. Look at that. Um, some, some big bands were formed in 1971. Eagles, mm. Queen, Roxy Music. I went in a diminishing returns type thing there because no one really <laughs> thinks about Roxy music. But they were good. And as suggested by Adam last time round, here are a few of the Oscar winners from that year. So April 15, 1971. One film pretty much swept the board that year. You guys got any idea what it is? I remember looking at it last time and 
Now I've forgotten it. So it would be from 1970? Yeah, probably. Um, it's one of those big, big Hollywood films. Well, if I told you... It, if I told you the best actor went to George C. Scott. Uh, 1970. Yeah, and then best picture and best director were also for this film that George C. Scott won his Oscar for. I'm trying to think what he's... I can't even think what he's been in, other than... It's probably his biggest... It wasn't, ex, wasn't Exorcist 3. <laughs> certainly wasn't. It should have been. Not, not Christmas Carol. It's probably his biggest <laughs> film. <laughs> I don't know if you've even seen it, to be honest. Oh, I, probably, I probably don't know. Anyway, the answer's Patton. No, I wouldn't have said that. But I do, yeah, I can see his face. On, on I the, don't uh, know any of it now. So he won that Best Actor for Patton, Best Picture, Patton, Best Director, Franklin Schaffner for Patton. Best Actress went to someone called Glenda Jackson for Women in Love. I haven't seen it. I don't know. don't know what that is. I thought I saw a pattern forming, but... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very good. <laughs> that's <laughs> very tell. good. That's a good gag. <laughs> and that's 1971. Amazing. We've got a lot to talk about, I'm sure, in these five yeah, films coming up. I'm sure we do. See if we find any trends. But uh, before we kick off with Waking Fright, Adam, should we move on to the staple of every episode? Yes. Do you want it, do you want it now? We'll join it in a bit. No, we want it we'll now. We want it now. Okay. Mm. Why would ready? we have it in a bit? Why not? You might want a little break. <laughs> you ready? I want the scores, mate. Yeah, scores oh, are yeah, all. shit, what's the scores? The scores are seven to Paul, seven to me, and four to Ben. And the way it works is if they get the question right, they get the point. If they get the question wrong, I get the point. Very well explained. Are you ready? Yes. yes. I've actually got three questions for you this week. Oh, shit. Three? Making movements with these. Can you name the two beer companies featured in the film? West End. Oh, that's the one I would have said. Yeah, that's why I had to. That's why I said the second one because the first one's too easy. Fuck! Mm. I don't know about the other one. Fuck! Where do we see this other brand? Because certainly the all the bottles. cans they're drinking, oh, the all the cans are West End, uh. and the bigger bottles are another one. Hmm. I ain't gonna get that. East End beer. No. <laughs> it's courage, bitter. Oh. Hmm. They were both English beer companies who were trying to get into the Australian beer market and they used this film as like an advert and it didn't work out apparently. No, I'm sure it didn't. It's not exactly the no. best promotional material yeah, to have, is it? This is your promotional. <laughs> Fuck, man. And on the back of that one, if you can tell me to the nearest five, mm-hmm. how many times someone drinks alcohol in the film? How many times? Have you, is this a fact you found on IMDb? Yeah. Yeah. Do you mean how many times we see someone... Yeah, drink, like take drink. a drink or... How, how close have we got to get? Within five. Oh, fucking hell, that's very strict. Yeah. Um, uh, so how many times we see someone take a swig of alcohol? I'm just going to say... 35. Oh, I'm going to go higher. I'm going to go 105. Yeah, point, Ben, it's 107. Oh, <gasps> <Whoa, laughs> that was so close. That's nuts. That's nuts. Jesus. That's so close. Yep, well done. <laughs> that is mental. And finally, um, what hang time on, do we... I get a point for that first question or not? Even though I got half of it right, you need you needed both of them. The first one, the first Shh. point was too. The first side of it was too easy. In so my that was pretty easy. That so one. strict. <laughs> um, and the final question is: What time of year is the film set? Christmas Eve. Uh, Christmas. Well done, Ben. Well, I said I said Christmas Eve. 
Well, it's Christmas. It's spread across, isn't it? Well, it didn't start on Christmas Eve. Ah, uh, but I didn't say Christmas Day. Oh, I said okay. Christmas. Because okay. he said what period. Yeah. Yes. I was just looking at all the very shit Christmas decorations in the back of the film. Yeah, yeah. yeah Christmas in they Australia. They don't really acknowledge it, do they? But, like, it's just always there. That's true. Do I get two points? Yep. Two points. Oh, that's exciting. I scored points for the first time in ages. You're one point away from us. Oh, look at that. Seven, seven, six, is it? Movements. Oh, actually, no, because Adam got that point, so it's actually eight. He's in the lead. Yeah. Eight, seven, six. Eight, seven, Adam. six. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Clever boy, Adam. Clever boy. Make sure he's winning this year. I know. First he's time ever. Shit. He, can make, he can make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> right. Should we move on to Wake and Fright? Oh, it's time yeah. to wake up. And fright everybody. Give fright. them a fright of their lives. New to the Yabba? New to the Yabba. Like your place? No, I think it's bloody awful. You don't like the Yabba? No. Will you have a drink? No, I'm toying with this one, thanks. Well, drink it down or buy another. Look, I'm flat broke and I can't afford to drink. What's that going to do with that man? I said I'd buy you a drink. You don't have to buy me one. Now drink it down. Right, everyone. Today we're talking about Waking Fright from 1971. This film is directed by Ted Kocheff. It is a spoiler episode. If you've not seen it, we'll spoil it terribly for you. So you might want to come and come and watch it. <laughs> you can come here and watch it with us if you want. And yeah. then listen to the episode afterwards. Uh, no one in this film. We've done in things we've done before, but we have. Surely, had, what's his uh, name? What? Who? No. Wasn't it the, no. Or was he not in that one? No, he was dead. <laughs> I thought they used his... Yeah, but it wasn't him. Okay. Do you want, do you want to elaborate? Yeah. <laughs> Go on, elaborate. I thought it was like a green screen thing. You thought it was a green screen thing? We spent so long talking about how good the prosthetics were and everything. Four. Everyone's like, who are they talking about? <laughs> Dr. Loomis. <laughs> Mr. Yes, Pleasance. it was Mr. Pleasance, Mr. Loomis. Do you reckon he was a pleasant man? I don't think he was a pleasant oh, man. Not in know. this film. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so no one. Yeah, uh, Spit and Polish. We just very, very recently covered a Jack Thompson film yes, with them. Yes, yes. By That's doing Breaker Morant, which is nuts. Yes, so it's very recent. Yeah, and that's the only that's the only people that's ever been in contact with filmbusters. I've now watched three of those Jack Thompson films in the yeah, last month, yeah, completely yeah. by coincidence. Because I'm watched... high on your list. Yeah, I think most he watched is. this year. He is. Yeah. So, Adam, do you want to give us a plot summary of this film? This film is about a man in Australia who gets pissed with a load of other Australians. And it gets weird. I thought you were going to do that in all Australian and then it kind of yeah. just washed out. It washed out. I didn't do it? anything it in out. Australian. It sounded like you were going to I stop doing a, it. I just took a breath in and didn't breathe really by eating my sentence. <laughs> it, was more, it was more the Australia. Yeah. Australia. I can't do I don't do accents because I'm terrible at accents. Right. Thank you, Adam. Uh, ben, you got anything about this film? Here's some key information for you boys regarding Waking Fright, which I only watched yesterday morning. It was described by musician Nick Cave as the best and most terrifying film about Australia in existence. Originally came out in the UK as Outback, 
circulated very for a very short time in the 70s and then completely disappeared before reappearing in the 21st century as a cult classic. I actually think that they lost the film for a couple of decades and then they found the negative, the editor found the negative in his storage unit and sort of put it together again so it had a new life in the 21st mm. century. It originally began life as a 1961 novel by Kenneth Cook, which uh, British actor Dirk Bogard optioned with a view to making into a movie, but that fell through. But the screenplay that was written for that movie was converted into this one, and Gary Bond took on the lead role as the school teacher descending into madness. It features Donald Pleasance before he ever graced our screens as Dr. Loomis as this alcoholic nihilist and the film earned significant notoriety for its extended kangaroo hunt set piece with reenactments matched with documentary footage to very distressing effect and I think we probably spend a chunk of the episode talking about exactly that so I won't go into that anymore and that is Wake in Fright Wake in Fright um you can absolutely tell the haze code wasn't here. He's yeah, British. Yeah, the haze code. Why? I wonder why. So that you you said that was Donald Pleasance's like uh, one of his earliest roles. I don't know if it's one of his earliest roles. I just mean it was before right. Halloween. Right, 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 right. I think he was probably doing quite well for himself beforehand. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, he seems like a stage man. Yeah, hundred percent. Theatre work. Hundred percent. Mm. I just thought it was random that if you saying that and then he just ran me in an Australian film. And you know, they say, in. people say that he was, like, a lot of plaudits for his Australian accent. And mm. I didn't really it was think it Australian was. Accent. It just sounded British to me. He just sounded like how he always sounds. No, he definitely did. I was like, is this guy Australian? <laughs> well, I didn't, yeah, I yeah. didn't particularly think it sounded that Australian. He just sounded casual British to me. Well, it's that, it's that fucking blend isn't it they it's are very um, close half, I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by um, by accents really and how yeah. how you can tell where people are, originate from and it's just a blend of accents moulding together mm. like when I listen to some um, films I, I felt it a lot in um, Sons of Anarchy when I was watching that it's like this blend of Irish Americans and mm. it just sounds like Irish half time Mm. because it's like that's where the accents come from it's a blend and I find it quite fascinating well there that's you go <laughs> um, so right this is Jamie's pick so Adam you get to decide what order you want our first impressions in if you just do film busters we can do film busters if you just want do classic film busters yeah it's a patron pick we just do our keep it, keep it simple you sure you want me first yeah. Okay. Why is he saying you're uh, sure? What's he setting us up for here? Fuck this film. <laughs> Honestly, I've never felt this disturbed or physically sick watching a film on this podcast, other than cats. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've never felt so disturbed. I don't care what the director's intentions were, or or if it was like footage from a real kangaroo hunt. And the, it would have happened regardless, bullshit. From, from my brief fact-checking anyway, it's like, I wonder if they I would, have, would have put so much fucking song and dance into shooting them if they were like s- such professionals. I know they were, the director was talking about 
it was almost as disturbing as like what they were shooting the guys doing in the film and and also asking about well, how do you want me, do you want me to shoot them in the brain they do this if they shoot them in the heart they do this if you shoot them in the liver they'll do this it's like oh man you fucking scumbags but um and the fact that they fucking put a massive aeroplane floodlight on the on the tracking vehicles that they wouldn't normally have so it's easy to film it but it's also easy to stun the kangaroos when they find them right and and regardless I, I came here for fiction right shooting kangaroos for real is not fucking fiction and adding a card at the end saying it's a message against kangaroo hunting it's fucking bullshit mate you've put these horrific scenes in the mix of a piece of entertainment regardless of how morbid everything else is surrounding it, and that's like the point of the film. I can watch a fucking Serbian film, regardless of how horrendous that is, because it's all part of a fictitious plot, right, that warrants those grisly moments. But you're still putting fucking kangaroos getting shot in a piece of entertainment. Get it the fuck away from me, I don't want to see it. And if I wasn't doing this episode, I would have turned the film off. I would have turned it off, I would not have watched it, I would not have carried on. No joke, it affected me for the rest of the day, and made me feel ill, and I was incredibly unhappy after watching it. The film surrounded it before these moments. I I enjoyed all the gambling stuff and meeting the police officer, like down his drinks. He's a bit of a wild man, but everyone was pretty grim, and that was kind. Of, I know it's kind of the point. Every single person was grim. I know what they're going for, and they succeeded, but I didn't appreciate it in the slightest. And that was my review. Okay, well, look at that, man. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot, a lot of conviction in those words. Um, yeah. So I mean, no, I think we need to go ahead and just say no one. That whole scene is just kind of. We have to treat the film in two different. I don't know. I feel like I know you're obviously going to give your score as an overall piece, but you can't let that completely sway your whole thing on the, when we're talking yes, about I this can. film. Yes, I. No, we need to talk can. about the film in two parts. <laughs> it's a film. It's a whole. It's a whole product. I know, mate. <laughs> but um, well, apart from that point, I, I I actually kind of enjoyed some parts of the film. There was, it had this weird tone about it, and I, it was quite. Sh- what do I want to say? I don't even know what I want to say about this film anymore. You kind of thrown me off a bit, Paul. <laughs> like. <laughs> You've kind of come out of the gates and startled what I was going to say. That's why um, I was wondering if you wanted me to go first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, apart from that part, I, I actually really enjoyed this film. Um, I kind of... I don't want to say I get why it's in there, but it it doesn't feel out of place in this film. I want it to be there, but it doesn't feel like you're, you're suddenly just watching... A, they've just whacked this in there for the fun of it. It, it feels like... The tone of what they were doing goes with this. It's ridiculous. It's just enhancing how stupid and how irrational and how uncaring that these people really are. And it just helps you. Like, I mean, there's many other ways of doing it. I'm not saying this is the only way, but it doesn't feel out of keeping. But, I mean, I don't know what to say, to be honest, mate. I, <laughs> um, you say mate like an Australian. <laughs> yeah. You want a beer, mate? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Just beer. That's what I'm going to say. Beer. Uh, well, so I'll let everyone know. I was out on Friday night um, and got a text through from Paul saying, you probably don't want to watch this with Jenny, my wife, <clears throat> which was in- intriguing because normally when we cover a film on the podcast, we don't really share any sort of thoughts or feelings ahead of time, do we? 
Um, no. So he'd obviously sent that having just seen this stuff. And I was like, okay, just give me context. Don't spoil it, but just give me context as to what we're talking about. And I was like, it's animal related, isn't it? And he said, yes. And went on to explain very briefly the length, more about this happens and it goes on for 15 minutes and it appears to be real. So he gave me that heads up. So I watched it solo, which was the correct call because it absolutely would have uh, been horrible for, for me to watch with Jenny. Um, and I said to Paul afterwards, this is the only, again, we don't talk about films before this normally, but I messaged and said, I don't know if it was better or worse knowing that this kangaroo massacre was coming up because I didn't know when it came in the movie. That's the thing. And it comes pr pretty close to the end, like in the, fi in the final third. So from the off, I was kind of braced for something disturbing. And the longer the film went on, the more I knew this horrible thing was coming. And I, I think it heightens the entire experience of the film to me because without that, and without the knowledge of that coming, it's already a dark, fucking bleak descent into like the heart of man. And it feels desperate. It feels suffocating. But knowing that something like this was coming made it even more so. And it, and it provoked a really fucking strong reaction out of me even before we got to that scene. And when that scene happened... I was braced for it, but I, nothing could have prepared me for for how it was. It is absolutely appalling. It's horrible. And we'll talk about this in the main. But I was so with the film up to that point. Really, really with it. And then that scene happened. And it wasn't as extreme as you, Paul. Like, I want to turn this off. But I was like, this has ruined the film for me. Now, this, this brings the film significantly down. But then I thought, I've got to see it all as a whole. And I did a little bit of research afterwards. And we'll talk about the kangaroo stuff in, in, in the episode. But ultimately, this film has to be the way that it is now. In order for it to give the message that it wants to give off, the, tell the story it wants to tell, that kangaroo scene needs to be in it, in my memory. Because without it, it lacks it lacks that final fucking punch because when punch, that yeah. happens, everything that you've seen suddenly really hits home and becomes really grounded because it's like, yes, you are watching fiction, but fiction is telling us about our lives, telling us about who we are as the human race and the human experience and shit like that. So when you see something as brutal as that, which is real, merged with it, it like almost elevates it to another level where it's like, we're telling you how depraved and dark the heart of man is, you're also seeing it for mm. real in here. Whether you want to or not, you're seeing it because this is happening. And can you can you reconcile the fact that you're seeing a fictitious story which is about fucking, not even toxic masculinity, just how evil and desperate and terrible men can be given the circumstances and environment they're in. Can you reconcile that with actually seeing it play out for real? And mm. I don't know. It took a little bit of processing. Man. Like, I wasn't feeling it at the time. It took a bit of processing. I loved that the film was telling the story of this man, this sort of civilized man who feels 
above the people he's around when he goes out of town into a more small town mentality and I love that we were showing him being broken down and broken over time and based on who he's surrounded by changing changing the way that he views things but when that scene came on it kind of it I don't, I don't know how to explain it it like transitioned over more from just being a movie into more of a social fucking commentary as well mm-hmm. on this is the state of the world it blended it blended documentary into fiction which is incredible filmmaking for one thing mm. of course i hated it of course i hated to see it um but i almost feel like maybe we should talk about the film up to that point and then we'll address the kangaroo stuff yeah i think that's it's probably the best way. I think you were saying what I was trying to say, but let's <laughs> let's take it all the way up to the let's take it all the way up to before they go on that kangaroo hunt and yeah how how we were enjoying it. In fact, here's one. Here's a question for you boys. Did you have one score in mind that changed when the kangaroo stuff came? Yeah, I, uh, my yeah, score went yeah. down after that. I mean, I'm not saying I enjoyed watching. I like you said, I, I get why it in kind of doesn't need to be there but i get why it's there and it doesn't feel out of tone with the film but it isn't pleasant to watch and it isn't needed but i think that's the thing is it it only it is all building to something right it needs it needs a gut punch right and it's just it's took the gut punch too far for me hmm and without without a big gut punch, the film doesn't make sense because it needs that spiralling to something massive happening to make the whole film make sense. Yeah. If it, if it didn't have anything like that, it's just it's, it's a little bit of spiralling and meandering and it's like we're just seeing these horrible people and it's like if it was just us seeing the horrible people with no massive payoff, it's like, well, what's this? All right, so let's, let's talk about this, yeah? In terms of yeah. the... I'm just going to tell you my point of view on it and then we'll see what you think. Yeah. When he goes to the town, mm-hmm. it's kind of framed a little bit like, oh, here's this man. He's a teacher. He wears a suit. He's he's educated. He goes to this small town and all these people do is drink and fucking do, do debauch things. But generally, they're not presented as evil. It's just no. that they haven't got much. There's nothing going on in the town of Yabba. But everyone is kind of friendly to one another, yeah. but friendly in a weird way, in a way yeah. that's actually very fucking relatable. So I've got, I go to see my relatives in, in Coventry uh, fairly regularly, and <laughs> this is not an insult to the town of Coventry and anyone who may live there <laughs> or in any of the small uh, towns and cities in the UK. But when I leave London and go to Coventry, it feels a little like his experience when he goes to Yabba, where... Mm. It's all about, go on, have a drink, mate. Let's just have a drink. Have a drink. Go on. Why don't you want a drink? Let's just have a drink. We're all together. Let's have a drink. It's like, that's how you connect to other people there. And it's because of environment. It's because of opportunities, because of what everyone else is doing around you. You've got no, you've got no control because that is what you have to do if you want to connect with people. You go, you drink, you drink. And if you don't want to drink, it's a slight like when mm. he's like, no, I don't want to drink. The guy's like, what? what's that got to do with it? Just let me buy you a bloody drink. It's like, that is how these people connect. But it goes, 
it transitions out of that as the story goes on to because there is no hope really and because there's such a lack of opportunity because this is a town like where man goes to die almost people who have um options in life and possibilities like him as a teacher like donald pleasance as a doctor go there and later waste because of the people they're surrounded with it corrupt it just corrupts them and because it's other like people banshees, are it's on a different scale of like it's a simple town with a simple right everything convenes mm. around the pub and people hanging out and if you're yeah, out running more you're out like that's the only way you hang around in this town i'd say all the way up to before he goes back to um tim hines's house yeah up to then it's like everyone's quite welcoming they, they no they, i don't think anyone tries to make him feel uncomfortable it's, it, it might feel odd because everyone is so like it almost feels like okay something's happening here that, is, that everyone's being too welcoming yes and they're trying to make a fool of him or something but they're not it's like they're just literally just buying him drinks and like getting him involved and then he decides yeah. to go down the rabbit hole i see th- th- here's what's interesting about it i completely as- aside from this had seen that luke our, one of our patrons and, and fellow listeners luke had watched it and I don't know if you have seen his his review, but essentially he says it's kind of like a man who thinks he's above these other people is is sort of learns that he he's not and he shouldn't be such a such a snob. Like his uh, their friendliness is taken for a strangeness, mm. and I think I might be I might be misinterpreting it, but I think Luke is essentially saying these are good people uh, in the town, and the teacher who goes in there is just being elitist he's just middle class but he thinks he's above yeah. them like i, I don't want to drink I, i'd rather read my books or or this that and the other and he's just dismissing them but actually it's a bit of that it is a bit of that but it's also not because it also is a bit of these people they may be once they may have had the potential to be good people but because of this town they're in because of the lack of opportunity and the lack of options and the lack of things to do they've got nothing but to to drink be debauched lie around live off grid completely out in the outback totally disconnected from the world it's what happens when you just cut adrift mm. yeah mm. it's like they, they are they are friendly they are good people but also they've been turned into something and yeah. I, and and that's that's the key <clears throat> with gary with um gary what's his name the teacher uh, what's his name? John. John Grant. Yeah, he comes and he's an all right guy, and then you see him later in that kangaroo hunt, and he is right in the mix of it. And it's not that he's a, that's the thing; he's not a bad person, but he has now been in and around these people for so long that he's descended into this primal Madness. state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth in the entire film that shows what what everyone has the capacity to be like if their situations change their yeah, environment sure. and the people around them yeah it's, it's very much that isn't it it's the um turn is that you, as soon as he gets into the into bundit bundan yabba yes <laughs> he uh he's instantly turned his nose off everything and and just going to see them them gambling it's like look at this primitive version of gambling like yeah. they're just throwing coins and and it's like there's but there's also this kind of uh craziness surrounding the money when they're exchanging hands and it's like what is going on here how does everyone know what, yeah. who's money's who but it's like 
everyone knows whose money's who and knows whose money's owed who and stuff like that. And it's like there's there's a kind of like community like agreement surrounding them all. It's like there's you can't turn your nose up at something like that. There's 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 more coldness in a fucking casino in Vegas than there is yeah, here. Yeah, man. Kind I, of I, thing. I, yeah, you're right. And, and um, that is the thing because they were yeah. nobody was going to steal from anyone there. It wasn't yeah. even it wasn't even suggested. It's like people know whose money's whose. Yeah, yeah. And that is warm, more a warming thing than any kind of gambling anywhere else. And it's just I kind of I kind of feel like he that is kind of what led him astray. That kind of community warming, like oh wow, this is actually a more thrilling thing than I thought it was going to be. But mm. then he kind of leads himself down the rabbit hole with. Everyone has a darker side. You can have this front of being very friendly and everything, but there's a dark side to everyone. Yes. I thought that ga- the whole gambling thing was amazing because it, it's <laughs> they essentially just created that game for the for the film, and mm. they made it riveting. Two coins on a bit of wood. Yeah, yeah. yeah sure. <laughs> the sure. way that they did that—it's like a really good version of Heads and Tails. Yeah, and then when he flicked them, and the guy was like, "No, no, you got to do it above your head, mate." Mm. It's like, God, who's made it's, these rules up, man? We're trying to try to figure out the rules as we go along as well. Just trying to figure out what the hell's going on. This is, yeah. why, is, it, is it made what, up? What, what the are film, they betting then? on? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally made up. Well, if it is real, I, th- I feel like it's made up for the film. I might be wrong. I don't know. These coins are a little piece of wood that you throw in the air. Yeah, with the crosses on. Um, but it also it shows the desperation of that town. It is like. It, if you think about places where the, the opportunity is just not there, I know that this is particularly Australia and Australia at the time, I guess, but it's still, mm. it's fucking relevant even for now. These small towns where there isn't a lot of money, where not even small towns where there isn't a lot of money, but just people who are desperate, who are in the pub, yeah. or people who don't have much going on, it's about, well, I need money, give, give me money, give me money. And, you know, loads of people fall into gambling addiction because they haven't got the opportunities in life. And that's essentially what was happening in that room. Everyone was just gambling away and he civilised man who yes he's got to serve out his little contracts in a school which he's not happy about suddenly sees his opportunity to escape he gets mm. shit loads of money and then he fucking throws it all away he had five, didn't he mm. have 500 quid he got yeah, 500 he quid yeah, he got yeah. money he was running around wasn't he yeah. yeah and then he went double or nothing because he it's, because he saw his way out and that's happens the world over I'm sure people think they're going for their out they think they've got their answer and they try and do a a little quick a gamble or something far. like that. Yeah, I think it's a and bit of a metaphor for the film. It's like you've you've taken this one step in this direction, but then you take a step too far. Mm-hmm. And also how and, um, how close we all are to being in that situation because we could yeah. we're so close to getting out, having lots of money, being uh, free, but equally yeah. one misstep could leave you trapped in that one place forever. This yeah. reminds me a lot of Banshee Paul, like that kind of. You don't want to be there, but you get stuck there. Yeah, yeah, small town. Yeah, you're not really stuck, but at the same time, you're you're in a vicious well, circle. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen Banshee, so I couldn't. Comment. I mean, it's not as heavy as this film, so don't worry. Oh yeah, it's not. It's just... <laughs> Nowhere. It's more of an action. It's a bit more like if he goes there and he kind of actually gets on with it, and. But it was it. it they. Oh, fuck me. I've got to say, that scene in the bar when he meets the sheriff type guy and mm. they keep necking drinks in all different places. He is so good at necking those beers, mate. Oh, he's incredible. The, the police officer. 
he bangs them down. And also, I couldn't work out if they were pint glasses or if they were mini pint glasses because they looked small at times. I think they're schooners, mini. aren't they? Well, yeah. The schooners are two-thirds of a pint, isn't it? Well, then they were blitzing it's, through them. Mm. Apparently, it stops, it stops them going warm in the hot Australian sun. I'm sure that uh, the science would say the dehydration is worse. I think there is a thing of if you're in the desert and you have the only thing you have to drink is beer should you drink the beer and they say yes absolutely because even though it dehydrates you your body needs some liquid in it so drink it even though it'll give you a headache and all sorts um but yeah didn't you get that impression there that it didn't it all feel like a fucking headache because it was so hot and oppressive but in a way that you don't normally see because it wasn't like they were dripping with sweat it just felt everything was yellow it felt like the crammed into a little space like a scorched town crammed in there. Mm. And then that scene where um, the announcer comes over and it's like, pay your respects lest we forget, and everyone stands up. That's mm. a real thing I've discovered. They actually do that in parts of America still, uh, um, Australia. Mm. But again, that is also a small town UK mentality that happens over in the UK. Like, not doing broad strokes here, but think of the things that you associate with small town and it is normally yeah. people yeah. going to the pub being respectful of those who yeah. fought in the war almost conservative values it's like a working very class dark, type a thing. dark side to everyone <laughs> yeah <laughs> definitely yeah I, I really enjoyed the um the policeman's character what's his name um do you, uh, i can't remember what his name is now jock they kept, kept, crawford jock yeah he kept calling me jock didn't he yeah yeah um he was probably my favourite character in the, in the film. Yeah, he, um, he was. I, I I just enjoyed his whole whole uh, persona and aura, and he was he was just this friendly kind of guy. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he has a dog. Said he's a police officer in there, and everyone has this kind of wariness about him stepping out his way, and I'm sure it's just this idea of him wanting to be on the like have everyone in his pocket kind of thing. Mm. It was. Um, You're right that you expect all these friendly people to turn bad. Like you're expecting there to be a sinister side to him. Yeah, and there absolutely. probably is, but it's just it's subtle. Well, I, I imagine he's corrupt by what happens at the end. I mean, I'm sure we're trying to help him in by saying, yeah, just say it's an accident. I thought but it's that kind as of well. in his own. Yeah, it's in his interest. Exactly. That's the thing. Yeah. Like the corrupt, the the corrupt. If it's corruption, the lie that he tells at the end by getting him to sign that, it's like ha, do, that doesn't benefit the police, really, no. does it? No, it benefits. Uh, it protects him, though, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. Um, but just his big. He was massive with his massive hands down in these yeah, small huge. little pint glasses. Yeah. <laughs> drink that, drink that, and then he's like, "Come on, let's get steak." And then he orders that fucking massive steak as well, and he's just yeah. snobbing it down his throat. It is all like primal man. It's like he, this guy, who's having a crisis this in his life, st- stuck in time, isn't it? It's stuck in time, but it's like it, it is. It is a case of, in some ways, it's the best ways that it's stuck in time, and then obviously it's shown that it's also the worst ways of ways it's stuck in time. There's something so sweet about them all being friends and just chill and like everyone's hanging out but then also at the same time but see yeah. they're not quite it chill it leads to the right? worst well they're not chill but like they are until they aren't it shows where it can lead for sure 
like yes if you were going to the pub now and then and having that night good but you know that everyone who's in that bar is going there every night every good and night. Ha- that's their night and you yeah. know we see it in glimpses when when we're introduced to um tim and uh he meets him in the pub and then they go back to his house and his daughter's there and his daughter's just sick of it she's like this happens all the time he's always bringing mm. back strays to the house as like that is it's addiction we are seeing things that if in moderation happened would be fine but none of nothing happens in moderation in this town yeah i think i think there's a thing of um everyone is is in this real community it might be a toxic community but if someone lost all their money they would immediately be facilitating them as a friend taking them letting them stay in their house feeding yeah. them letting them drink their beer but it's just a vicious circle that would just keep going round and round because everyone's kind of facilitating the next person. Yes, and but that, that's that, this is what is so fascinating about the film in terms of like are these bad guys or not? Again, ignoring the big thing that then happens because even when they're arguing, even when th- even when it feels like something terrible is going to happen, mm. they're offering beer, and it's a very traditional. You know, masculinity, traditional masculinity does that. It's like, you know, mm. when there's awkward conversations to be had or if there's any sort of, sort of sensitivity that needs to happen in a situation or emotion, it's like, I'll have a beer because that's yeah. my way of saying, oh, it's okay here to have this beer, have this beer. It's how men traditionally connected with one another because they couldn't do feelings. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It is interesting in that sense. It is... I mean, I was I was enjoying all this stuff. I was getting stuff out of it. It was just it was this case of where is this heading? I need I need there to be a point in all this. Well, I did, otherwise I, it's just I didn't yeah, find that it wasn't heading towards something though, because it, regard, regardless of the big denouement moment, it felt like it was a nice feel, like it was a feeling. It was going to be one of those yeah, films yeah. where it was a feeling. Yeah, it's a mood, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. What did you think of um, the Jeanette character, his daughter? Um, this is where it started getting seedy. As soon as we got into that house and the friends, uh, as soon as you saw the daughter, really, just how how like downbeaten and upset she was. It's like, what is going on? There's something dodgy going on with this. And then as the friends arrived and they're like signing up next to her saying, how are you doing? Mm. It's like, oh, it's just like she's the fucking town horse she's being treated like and the, and the father just lets this happen it's gross yeah I mean yeah well the, the the two friends being that way was totally gross in fact I would say these two friends who come uh, one of which is Jack Thompson as yeah. Dick and the other Dick. one Joe I, these Dick are the two Joe. worst characters yeah. because it's when they arrive that it really goes uh, bad and these yeah. are the ones that they have the fight on the the, yeah, the round yeah, of the bar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry, I just watched it last week, so it's been a while. <laughs> but it's almost like the Donald Pleasant's Doc character. Mm. He he almost is this like evil presence they've they've depicted him as. Because as soon as he arrives, the de- debauchery really starts happening. It's like he is, even though he's this this kind of. Uh, professional person in the town as a doctor he's mm. the almost like the, the downfall of everyone as well he um, 
just it, it almost brings the evil side out of everyone as soon as he arrives in the house. They, that's when they start really going crazy with the drink. And like, I don't know, they, it felt like they, they tried to, to pose him as this like demonic figure. I don't know. I feel like he... Like, the, the, the biggest... His biggest enemy in this thing is himself because he had potential. He came as a straight-laced guy and he fell into the trappings of this town and instead of trying to do anything to escape or whatnot, he let it consume him totally. He's like a fucking total nihilist. Like, his view is... Like, when he first meets... Um, John, the teacher, he's like, yeah, this town is hell, but it could be worse. He's like, we're here. This is hell. I acknowledge that I live in hell, but I'm just going to do what I need to do. Mm. I don't, th- I don't know that he's evil as much as I think. Like, I think the film's than- trying to portray him as that, though. Hence, why it was it like John? He he kind of puts everything on him as if it was his fault. That's why I was going to go kill him. Like, he was the origin of all this madness that ensued in the film. Who, when John goes with the gun? Yeah, to go to go find him, as if it started with him, and that's going to kind of end it all. Well, I think the real... I think that's a naive way of looking... Here's one naive way of looking at it. If I, if I remove this man, I remove my problems. Yeah. But then it's really, it's like, no, I've got to kill myself because I'm actually the one who went down this rabbit hole. Mm. Looking for someone else to blame for why you have gone, why you've spiralled. Mm. mm. There's, I mean, but this is all what's fascinating. Like different reads on it. Like I don't, I don't personally think he's he's evil. They certainly make him out to be this mischievous char- character, and he does some pretty appalling stuff. But they all do to an extent. I just think he is John the teacher. But at least John leaves at the end for Donald Pleasance. Mm. He never did. He went there. It's Hotel California. You can check out anytime you want, but you can never leave. And he literally didn't leave. Hotel California is about death. Yeah, I know, but this, in the purposes of this film... Well, this is Death Town, anyway. It's like purg- purgatory. Yeah. It is like purgatory, yeah. They watched this film and then wrote the song about it. They well, were formed that year. The Eagles were formed that year, there you go. <laughs> they were inspired. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the reason I was asking about the daughter, though, is because... What do you think? You say, so, because later, Donald Pleasant says, oh, yeah, you know, me and her have a go on each other time to time and she's like if she was a man it would be rape and it's like so it does it's not suggesting that she is abused by all the men in the town it actually seems far from it it seems like she is looking for connection through men she embraces her sexuality right Mm. Luma says Mm. there's no shame in it she likes she likes sex yeah and actually that's connecting with people in town I don't know does she really though Look how does she look like she's enjoying any of this? Well, no, but that's because she isn't drunk off her head like the others as that much. That sounds like such a ma- a man thing to say. Oh yeah, she she loves it. Yeah, I think she's I think she's stuck in a cycle as much as everyone else is, and maybe yeah, it is that she she's stuck here. She's in this prison. Maybe this is the only way she can find any sort of release by just going through the paces and sleeping around because mm. there's nothing else for her to do. But everyone is taking advantage of her in that town. I, I wouldn't say that she enjoys being taken advantage of. 
No, no, no. But it's whether or not she is being taken advantage of. I'd say she is. It's, it's. I feel. Don't you feel like um, when she's gone outside and then John's following her, it's almost like, well, okay, this is what he he's yeah. come here for. So let me take him away and do it because that's what I do. A little of that, but also the thing is, she was leading it all. He didn't make a move on her. She was making the moves on him to the point that he was almost repulsed by it and then he threw up. <laughs> but it's like she's... Do you really feel like when she's laying on that floor, she's like, come on, I'm really ready for this. I'm really... can't wait for this to happen. <laughs> I think in a, in a sordid way, everyone in that town gets their enjoyment from things that they know are not good for them. Like everyone who's drinking mm, knows it's not good for them, but they're mm. knocking it back. They're doing it. They're all addicts. She's addicted to sex, but it's what's going to make her feel something feel in that moment because she's so fucking numb by her home life with her dad and all, all his friends and whatnot. This gives her connection. It's very true. Mm. It's mm. her one thing that she can control because ironically, even though, uh, the two friends come in and they're like groping her and whatnot, which is gross. Well, not even groping her. It feels like they're groping her, but they're not. It's just they're saying leery words. Yeah. There is no um, suggestion that she's being abused. No. Her father's just letting it all happen. Like a little scumbag. Even though he seemed like another nice guy. <laughs> yeah. It's like this just shows like the dark side of everyone. Uh, this is it. All these people who look friendly and decent on the surface and then have these dark hearts it's what the whole film's about it's just the dark heart of man the descent of man what is there and how close we are to it mm, mm. and i think it's you know that parallel to open the film up with john there in a classroom full of young kids very vulnerable kids that that he has he has control over like a very trusted respected position he is in a good yeah. man arguably so then see what happens when yeah. he's he's pushed just a little bit in that town. That's how close. He had all the right intentions to go home, to make something better of his life, mm. to go see his wife. And he doesn't even go see her in the end. He just goes back to work. <laughs> well, he ain't got the money to go off to Sydney anymore. No, he needs to go make that money again. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's, let's talk about the inevitable... Kangaroo uh, stuff then. Immediate. Well, I think I think there's a there's something that starts it off before they they they're all getting very erratic in the in the house, and uh, Doc or Donald is doing the handstands and drinking. And it's like it's getting a bit out of hand. All this heavy drinking, and then they turn up in the car with the there's a dog in the front seat, mm. and they throw the dog into the back and I was like okay hand, watch how you're handling this dog yeah and then this fucking disgusting shit kicks off so I was like well this is that was kind of a sign for what's to come <laughs> how they treat that dog mm. and I don't think saying most of this is is quote unquote documentary footage there's still some stuff that they had to do as actors in that film the bit where like, they're fighting it. They're fighting it. They're, they're, when John Grant's holding the tail, trying to stab it. And it's like, you're abusing these animals. So 
man, I don't. Yeah, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that because they they said when I was watching it, I was that totally. Who run the kangaroo over? They were the hunters. Was that the hunters? Yeah. Are we sure? Yeah. So this is so know, here's man. my I think here's it's very shady. Here's Aren't my understanding. Class as pests in um, Australia now. No, they're endangered. I thought at the time they were classed as pests, but no, it's just man's disgusting, repugnant desire to kill anything. Um, I thought when I when I was uh, watching it, I was completely appalled because I thought I can't believe you've gone out and done this. There, there's no excuse in this, but. So the, my understanding is that it was hunt, a licensed hunt that was mm-hmm. going to take place and the director and one cameraman or something went out with them to document it to include in the film. So to say that nothing will be done specifically for our film, we're just going to capture what these people are going to do anyway. Apart from facilitate a big airplane light. Well, the light the light was for them to get the footage, but the hunters use light anyway to start all the kangaroo, like they said. But and it's actually, a bigger, it's a it's a brighter and bigger light than they normally use. Well, I mean that's possible. Yeah, that that's possible. But then I also read that they the filmmakers sabotaged their own lighting rig, so it ended the hunt early because they just hated what they were seeing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which which you would. I mean, but that that's the thing. It's like if something is going to happen anyway. If you are a documentary maker, you film it. You can't intervene. Mm. But this this is because he was also saying that. They were, they were all drinking. It was, it was basically playing out as the film did, where yeah, they were all yeah. highly intoxicated. They were intentionally like playing with the kangaroos and like mm. pretty much torturing them with their rifles. And there was there was there was kangaroos with their entrails hanging out. Mm-hmm. And it's like, when does this get to a point where you're like, I don't want to show this in my film? So, here is the thing that's won me round to it the most that the Australian uh, Humane Society and the UK Humane Society for Animals said, leave all the gory footage in. Leave the goriest stuff that you can in. They were going to cut it, weren't they? Yes, they were going to cut it, but they said, leave it in because people need to see how appalling this is. And two years after this film came out, they banned it in Australia. So you can credit the film and this film being so widely seen in Australia and people being appalled with it ending the eventual by banning the hunt. I think it's a very it's a very hard line to walk because this is a piece of entertainment you're putting it all in. I know, but entertainment. I know is, entertainment. You know, it, has, it hasn't got to be all sanit- sanitary. You know, like, no, no. In terms because of I, can, I would call Serbian film entertainment. Yeah. It's a piece of entertainment. It's a it's a, a story that you're watching. No matter how you feel, how it's supposed to make you feel, it's an it's a piece of escapism, mm. right? And mm-hmm. to go in and then watch this and be like, "Fuck, man! Why why would I want to ever see that?" Yeah, it's horrible. put it in a doc. Put it in a documentary saying ban shit. I know what they're mm. trying. To, I know I know like what they're saying and saying like this is this is a, a, a way we can get this shit banned. But it doesn't sit. It didn't sit right with me. Like you're still making money off the back of this film. Yeah, but the bad people who did the killing, they're not necessarily making money from it. Like the director, you know, it, it is hard. I know it is hard. 
it is fucking hard. It's a hard one to reconcile. I don't think it's just a mm. simple case of, oh no, you can excuse it. And I don't think it's a simpler case of, oh no, this is repugnant, fuck it. Yeah. There's, it's a grey area and just, yeah, everyone's going to be different with it. I, I can only come to peace with it knowing that these humane societies were aware of what was going on and didn't say, don't do that. They essentially were like, do it and show it. Mm. Because it is, do you know what it's like? It's like when you are in the cinema these days and before the film, they throw on an advert for some traumatic thing, whether it's an animal thing or disease or whatever, abuse, all of these things, because you are there, you are a captured audience. We're going to show you something that isn't in line with you wanting to escape in a film for a couple of hours, but it's important you see this. And given the subject matter of the film, I guess it was considered like, if you're coming to see this film about the terrible things that men can do and the terrible ways that they behave and how primal they can be, here I'm, we're going to show you it for real in this setting. Mm. I do, I do, I get it. I get it, but it's just, I don't know. It's just, it, it is it is that line of... They of wanting it to be in the film in the first place. Mm. Right, they decided they wanted to have kangaroos getting shot in this film and just the stage of being like, okay, so we're going to have a kangaroo massacre. Now I want to go film a kangaroo massacre. Now I'm going to put this kangaroo massacre in my film. It just doesn't, it just doesn't sit right with me and I can't help how it made me feel. No, I know. Like, it's, it, it is a hard one. I, it's, it totally suits the tone of the film. Without this, I don't think this film would be remembered if it didn't have this in it. Honestly. I, well, who, who, who knows? It would be remembered slightly differently, that's for sure. But I do know that I was enjoying the film a lot more before this happened. Yeah. And then at yeah. the end, it was like, I don't know that I enjoyed that film. No. It's tricky because mm. I think the film is really great, but it has one of the most repugnant fucking scenes in cinema it is a hard it it is a hard one it's hot but it's It's also hard it is as you say it's the thing of a choice to say okay i want to include this in my film even though i don't have to but it's in the book so if you want to adapt the book you have to you've presented with that decision right it's like okay we've got a kangaroo massacre scene that's in the book which by the way i read something that said the way it's displayed in the film is nowhere near as terrible as it is in the book which is crazy considering you're actually seeing it in the film. Mm. Well, that's um, fine. It's written on a page. It's not. Yeah. That's that's different. It's like if I'm putting two things together, a little boy getting raped is not as bad as kangaroos getting killed, like in Serbian film, right? But it's a piece of fiction. It's so not it's real. Like, yeah, it's it not real. a real one. It's not real. So <laughs> if it's on, a, if it's written in a book, it's not real. It's just kangaroo. It's fictitious kangaroos getting killed. Yeah, but it's a totally different experience. Okay, so here's the thing. At the time, that was legal in Australia. So those hunters were doing something legal, but something which is morally reprehensible. So that means you can film it. Is there something you can think of now which is legal that is morally reprehensible that you could film documentary-wise and show? What, nowadays? Yeah. Because what I'm saying is if that was illegal... Say again? People were still fucking hunting shit in this world that you could probably film 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. But that, that, what I mean is, if that was illegal at the time, then mm. filming it, that's it's not, something it's not else because the police need it, to yeah. be involved. The police should be involved or the authorities should be informed that this terrible thing is going to happen so it, that it doesn't get a chance to happen. But that was going to happen legally sanctioned. They had their license for it. Whether that's right or wrong, it was going to happen. So by filming it, it captures some terrible thing in the world. It's the, it's, it's me, it is me bringing my disgust of the people who did it into a film that, in a way... They still abuse kangaroos in the film. But mm. they did not do the king of the kangaroos. But uh, it's but I still think in some ways they did facilitate the hunters with certain equipment or ways they wanted it shot for the film. Well, I read it as they already had a pr- footage of a kangaroo hunt from beforehand. No, they went no. along. Okay. They went along and filmed it. And the and the people are asking the director how do they want them to shoot the kangaroos? Do they want them to shoot them in different parts of the body because they act in different ways? But we don't know what the director said to that. The director exactly. may have, the director may have said, I "Don't I'm not getting involved. You just do what you would do anyway." It's one of those. It's, it's another thing we don't. Yeah, we do not know. Maybe he said, "Make make them struggle. We need it for the film." Yeah, I mean it was fucking horrendous stuff. They were struggling <laughs> in that film. That was it was they did it wasn't one shot they're down. It was one shot and they're flailing on the floor. Yeah. Or going yeah. off with their entrails hanging out. I think whichever way you look at it, it's going to be how different how many different of opinions there is on so many things. Like Paul, you know, you're a vegetarian. Adam, I think you're mm-hmm. close to it. I'm not. We all love animals. We all love animals mm-hmm. i think all three of us love animals um but we also have a a line on how much we love animals because ultimately i eat them pretty regularly mm-hmm. so i i accept yeah. that these things are dying for me and i think you could look at it in the same way here because it's a, a case of we all think what happened is appalling but where do you draw a line on what what is tasteful or what is appropriate yeah, course, for inclusion absolutely. in this I would have much rather it didn't happen. Obviously, mm. um, it's very fucking interesting. It's an interesting. I mean, if if in a way, you're correct. If it in some way facilitated them to ban kangaroo hunting, then yeah. some good did come of this film. But it is a very big grey area about how they got the footage. Well, you know, we don't uh, know yeah, all the is. details. We do not know all the details. By all accounts, none of the actors were there, which is the yes. thing that baffles me. Though is Apart if from that John is Grant the case, was holding on to a kangaroo tail. Was... Yeah. So, but how did that happen then? Like maybe also, that kangaroo is extremely dangerous to like fuck they are, with. Yes. Yeah, that's what so makes what, me think I, they can't have been doing like, that. Go out. It's like grabbing alligator tail or something. Not that bad, but like they've got those claws in them, don't they? They can just kill you instantly. But that's what makes me think they couldn't have really been doing that. Would you really have put an actor, like, you know, the big guy who was essentially trying to box that kangaroo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would yeah. you really have put an actor up against him? I think... Well, I don't, hoping... I don't think that would have happened. Well, there was a shot of them both in a scene together, wasn't there? Yeah. But they... I think half of it was just a point of view of the camera looking at a kangaroo and the camera looking at an actor. Yeah, but even yeah. though you've got a kangaroo, like you can't put a cameraman there as much as you can put an actor there. <laughs> 
<laughs> behind a screen or something. I don't know. God knows what happened in the seventies, mate. It's all fucking. No. <laughs> they're, in a, they're on a moped and he's just circling around on a moped. Uh, all I will say is, I saw little kangaroos back in two thousand six, and they were just the cutest. They ate stuff out of my hand. Oh, what yeah. do they eat? Little joeys or big kangaroos? A big kangaroo with a baby in its its satchel, if that's what but you they call eat, it, like uh, grubs and stuff like that. Or? Well, they gave us it was like a wafer cone type thing, and then in it was all these weird seeds and stuff. It's like an ice cream. They were real cutie. That's pretty cutie. And I I prefer to remember them that way. Yes, yes, of course. But hopefully, hopefully, the film, and I think this is probably it, because apparently a lot of Australians didn't like the film when it got released, and hopefully it's because it did show this sordid underside that they weren't willing yeah, like to this accept. This in your country kind of thing. Yeah. And hopefully it did... Um, create change in some way even if not directly like if you can't prove it it would have entered the minds of a lot of people who otherwise had no idea or who preferred not mm. to think about it who maybe then went out and were almost like activists because of it in in different ways of of working it's a very it is a very odd one because if you're watching like if, if i go and watch blackfish okay mm. which is about the abuse of of um of whales in mm-hmm. like sea world and stuff like that i'm watching i'm watching footage that that has been recorded from from ages ago and i know what the film's trying to get at i know it's trying to stop this stuff from happening but i think the difference in this film is the fact that the director's gone out of his way with the people hunting the kangaroos yeah but the know, it's, also, it's, it's, it's such a weird it's such a weird fine line i don't know it just doesn't sit well with me it's weird it's about its inclusion in the film I think is the issue because if this was a Louis Theroux documentary and Louis went out and filmed all of that footage and it was included you would because you know what he's trying to push the agenda he's trying to push because he's like I've I've come here because I want to show this horrific stuff that's happening just like when he's going along visiting the fucking Christians against homosexuality people Mm mm-hmm it's like you're you're showing them and showing showing the world what kind of ignorant people there are in the world. Yeah, agreed. I would argue that you feel the same way about this film, though. That the inclusion of that is going to show how appalling the acts are. Like by including it and showing the men, the actors, the characters who are carrying it out, it is showing. It's certainly not endorsing it. It's saying, look at look at how yeah, yeah. broken and fucked up these guys are it's just, it, and know, to think it's, why why do they do it why do those hunters in the real world those hunters who committed that appalling act mm. okay you've seen you've been following these characters in this film you've seen how men can fall and slip what what's the mentality behind these guys it's very easy to just say oh they're all just cunts and fuck and yes they are they are but mm. what created them that what made them that way was it being in this small town with no opportunity from a young age where all the men in their lives were hunters and they were drinking from the age of 12 and 13 and it was always about being manly and rough and tumble they never had a fucking chance then did they if they grew up that there's just way. no care in the world it's just a, everything's just a joke to you and you're fucked around and there's no circ- there's no consequences to any of your actions mm. and the policeman in the town doesn't give a shit and watching you do it you're never gonna really is it but but then again if you think about it everything that we saw in this film these guys do nobody did
did anything illegal. No. It's just it's just reprehensible in your own opinion. Yeah. It's primal, it's base. Yeah. It is literally like civilization is gone from here. But presented under a veneer of oh these people are just they just want to have a good time together. I was I was gonna say I think I think the difference is as well when you speak of primal you're thinking of of doing stuff to survive. Whereas this is where they go, they step beyond that they're doing it for fun. There's no kind of we're getting these because we're going to eat them all. They're just going to. They literally left them all chopped up in the desert. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I know that was horrendous shit to see. That was. Yeah. But it's base. It's base urges because it's no coincidence that after that, it goes to Doctor Loomis and John rough and tumbling it in the house, and then clearly having a homosexual encounter overnight. Mm. And it's like neither of them. Are homosexual, but they just gave into base primal urges in the moment. It's like I want to feel something. I want something. Give me something, and that was the thing right then. I know. Um, I I read about that, and I kind of, I, for some reason, I had some some idea that that was going to take place. I might have just, uh, maybe read some Twitter comments or something, right? From from when um, Contrarians did it or something, but um. I, I didn't like if I didn't know that I wouldn't have thought that happened. I don't what? feel like they inferred to it. What, like where did when did that happen? Because they're rough and tumbling, wrestling, yeah. and then Loomis is on top of him, and yeah. then slowly starts moving towards his face, and then it fades out, and then it wakes, it fades in in the oh, morning, okay. and John yeah. is in a state of undress. Loomis's leg is over his, and he quickly gets dressed and is rushing out. Okay, I did. I didn't really take it as that if if like i know i i kind of knew that it was supposed to infer that but i didn't really from watching it i was never i wasn't like this is 100 percent a mm. homosexual encounter i just thought they were drunk and tumbling around just like fucking slobs no they definitely fucked because <laughs> <laughs> and that's why i think he comes back with the gun for the kangaroos on the other side oh man <laughs> poor taste <laughs> But that's why I think he comes back with the gun for Loomis because it's like, oh, you've you've completely changed who I thought I was. Yeah. And I'm gonna I blame you for it. And then he's like, when he can't find him, he's like, no, this is me. I've done this to myself. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's how close we all fucking are. Masculine, toxic masculinity doesn't even come close to explaining what's going on in this film because it isn't just, oh, all these men are terrible. It's they're doing terrible shit, but because of where they are and what, what mm. life has been like around them, who's been around them, opportunity around them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pressures but, from your peers. Yeah. Just going along with whatever's happening. And that's why I think at the end, after he's shot himself and, and he returns to the town, I think for him, he has a kind of, before when he arrived in that town, he thought, oh, all these people are just drunken no hopes, they've got no chance, let me just pass through. And at the end, he's yeah. like, we're all close to that. And actually, they are yeah. all fucking people. It's just your circumstance. It's circumstance. And he has an appreciation for them at the end, even though he's been through this terrible stuff with them and he's done terrible shit. <sighs> what man hasn't? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I get that. 
I've got to say, I have never listened to Contrarian's episode because I didn't want to listen to it until we'd seen it. So I am going to be fascinated to Same, yeah. listen to their take on, on this. Yeah, yeah. Were they as distraught about the kangaroos as we were? <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I think that um, one thing it made me question was the integrity of the actors in the film, knowing that they were part of that but again it's all about what they were able to reconcile themselves to if they can yeah. say i understand why this needs to be in there because it makes this point it was quite the fucking experience the whole film it's, it certainly was i did i did not expect this has been a watch list for so long and i did never i never expected it to go down this this kind of wavelength yeah i, I, was, I for some reason uh, thought it was it was something to do with like just from the poster that maybe it was you know that picture of um, what's his name? The um, Jack Thompson Jack shouting Thompson. on top like, of the car. Yeah, mm. I imagined it was him, like this guy being hunted down in the desert by some people or something. Oh right, yeah. Oh, why? That's what I thought it was about. Never thought it'd be about this. And and we were we were wondering like we did ponder the question. I wonder why Jamie gave us this film. And I feel like it it does like bring up a really great conversation so it was worth it Jamie <laughs> it does I would like to know what Jamie makes of it as a whole as well and how he feels about the scene if he feels it's warranted I mean I do like contextually when you look back at that film all of it it doesn't feel like and then there's this really out of place kangaroo massacre for 15 minutes it feels like right. this kangaroo massacre is like where the film breaks the fourth wall and just goes, and here's a reminder, these men are out there in your world, yeah. in your country, in your communities. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Fascinating, fascinating. Look, we're off to a theme here maybe for 1971 about masculinity again. It always is. Mm, yeah. It's all about bastards. Maybe. There's too many films about masculinity, man. <laughs> maybe it will all have kangaroos in Maybe <laughs> every film. I don't even know what film I'm doing yet. Is it my next? No, it's Paul's. It's my next. It's my next. <laughs> I had to, I got scared for a moment there. <laughs> are we? Are we moving on to our ratings? Scores. Yeah. Yes. Let's. Okay. So I was, I was very sure on a score. So this this start with, with before the kangaroo. Yes, before the kangaroo. Yeah, what was before your the kangaroo? I was like, okay, this is. I'm enjoying it, but I don't know how much I'm enjoying. It. I just got. I have to wait to ha see how it pays off. I was on a seven. Right, right. Then the kangaroo thing happened, and I was like, this is the worst shit ever. I want to turn this off, but I can't. Mm. I hate this so much. Why would they put this in the film? Yeah, and then. I having this conversation it kind of opens my eyes to maybe this this was important in some ways but there's a very fine line I can't really work out how I f how comfortable I am with, mm. with the director going along with the hunt and stuff like that yeah so I give it a little bit of leeway but only a little little leeway Right. It gets a 2 out of 10. Oh, fuck, man. Wow. So yeah. it undoes, by having that 
in there, it undoes all of the other good work in the film for you. Yeah, I absolutely. I, I was I was saying to Jenny, I had a little conversation. Just ba- I was basically she wanted to know what <sighs> was happening. Right, and I was just like, I absolutely detest this film. I hate it. So I was obviously in the moment then as well. It was fresh, mm. and I was like, this is unnecessary, disgusting. I felt physically... I actually felt sick. Do you know how we felt after watching Cats? <laughs> I actually felt like that. Like, if it it had entered into my system. <laughs> and I was never like, this it. makes me feel unwell. And, yeah, that's how I felt. But there is, there is, some, there is something in this film, but it's, it is a very hard one. It's, it's a very hard one to get my head around whether yeah. it warrants it. That's fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. I, I, um, yeah, I just, I think there's still a half decent film in the bottom of it and maybe listening again to the discussion. Um, I'm not going to be as harsh on it as Paul, but I'm going to give it a seven out of 10. So what were you before the kangaroo thing? I would have probably given it an eight. Okay. So seven out of 10. So I was, I was at a nine before the kangaroo thing. I was loving the themes, the ideas, just the whole feel of it. The kangaroo thing, I didn't. E- it wasn't even a case of oh, I'm dropping my score. It was like I don't even think I can put a score to this film anymore because I can't. After yeah, having enjoyed in, it so much, in... to have something like that, how can you give it a score? I was like, I can't. But then, from doing a little looking into the context of all of that stuff and everything, and the kangaroo aside. I didn't think it ended particularly strongly after everything that there had been before. I thought the actual end, the last 10, 15 minutes, wasn't as strong as everything that had come before. I dropped it to an eight. So, I'm still happy with it. Did you give it a seven, Adam? Yeah, I give it a seven, yeah. Okay. Um, I, can, I, can, I can understand. This is the thing. It is all down to what you're what your line is I can see people really enjoying this film because it gives you that extreme feeling it's yeah. like we all want to feel something in a film and it does that it 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 does what it says in the tin as they say it wants you to feel this horrific feeling of of there's no hope in this town mm-hmm. and it does that it delivers so it doesn't surprise me that people give it high scores yeah it's also a good it is a good representation of descending into chaos yeah it is yeah, for sure. And also, what do you give Apocalypse Now, Paul? I know, I was thinking about this afterwards. I, I give Apocalypse Now a nine. And they and killed specifically for the film. I know, specifically I know. For the film. I was thinking about this afterwards. I haven't watched it in a very long time, so I'd have to, I'd have to watch it again. Mm. Oh, it's, it's something... It's one animal against a massacre. Right, or, I, yeah, I ain't going to argue with it. If, it. if it pushes your buttons and you can't, and it doesn't sit right with you, that's kind, it. It's a different kind line. of film as well. I knew 100% I was loving that throughout, where this one I was unsure what I was getting. Yeah. So we'll see. I'll watch it again and I'll let you know. It is, it is tough because it, is, it includes something. You, we all want to distance it. It's kind of like, well, here's what it's like. And not to bring this up, but it's just what is what comes up for me. As an example, Wonder Woman, Gal Gadot, right? Mm-hmm. I can never, never endorse or enjoy 
that stuff or anything that she's in because I know what her views are in mm-hmm. Israel-Palestine. I know that this is a thing, but that happens in the real world. That's who she is in the real world. When she's Wonder mm-hmm. Woman, she's playing a character. Some people can ignore her views on Israel-Palestine or they don't care about it anyway, so it doesn't make any difference. But it's about, if you care about Israel and Palestine, where's your line? Are you willing to enjoy a film with her in, knowing that she holds these terrible views? Or are you like, she holds these terrible views, I'm not going to watch something with her in? Mm-hmm. It's yeah, that, that kind of, it's where everyone would like for entertainment to just exist in its own stratosphere, but the real world has baggage that comes with it. Yeah. Especially as fucking Hollywood. Yes. And, you know, other things like Woody Allen, do, do we do we cut out from the conversation how he behaves in his personal life and just assess his films? Well. Mm-hmm. Do we, do we, um, what's the fuck? Christopher Plummer. Do we forget about Christopher Plummer? We forget and about all Plummer. the amazing exactly. film he's done. But this is what it all comes down to, isn't it? It's like, it, it, you the real world was brought into this film and it was shocking and it was brutal and it was horrible and that kind of fits what the film was talking about so I give it I give it its flowers for that mm. yeah I get that you're yeah. not going to give it its flowers nope no that's fine <laughs> so listeners rather unsurprisingly Paul's 2 really skews the scoreboard there we were and Jamie's as well weren't we Oh yes, did Jamie give oh, the shit. score? Yeah, Jamie gives it an eight. Yeah. Oh, oh, thank God. I think Jamie, you just rescued it from being in our bottom uh, twenty, or maybe you haven't. Uh, yes, you. No, yeah, you have. Well done, Jamie. Just, just. <laughs> I was looking at that then, and I was like, oh, this is such a shame. This is going in the bottom twenty, but also because it doesn't feel like even Paul. I think you would admit it doesn't feel like this even though you've given it a two it doesn't feel mm-hmm. like this should be listed in the worst films we've no, covered because we've covered some absolute but. awful appalling films this was a really well made film it just included something that was very controversial mm-hmm. yeah yeah this, anyway, this is a hard one that means we average out at 6.25, rounding up to a 6.3. We need to go head-to-head, first of all, with another Jamie pick, which is Diner. This was better than Diner. I, I, I mean, you don't, you don't have to bring me into the conversation. No, that's true. All right. Uh, <laughs> this or Blind Fury, Adam. This was better than Blind Fury. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you saying yes? Yes. Okay. Age of Innocence. This I... is better. I think you gave you gave Age of Innocence a nine, mate. Can't. Okay. No, I didn't. I swear you did. No, no yeah, I'm looking did. at my score here. It's an eight. Oh. Um, yeah, uh, Adam, what did you say that this is better than Age of Innocence? Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, of course you did. Like a five. Um, I might have needed a kangaroo fucking mask to spice it up. Oh, fucking hell, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, it's better. It's better than Age of Innocence. There we go. Top so of the list. Top of the 6.25s. Top of the 6.25. So it sits above Age of Innocence and below the verdict, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, in a, in a, in a, in a world where the verdict was like pretty bland, it's like this definitely was spicier than that, but I cannot <sighs> condone yeah. ever watching this film ever again. <laughs> it's fine. It's totally fine. 
But, you know, uh, when I think about this and The Meg, in what world can The Meg be a better film than this? I know. But I'd rather watch The Meg than this. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'd rather just not watch The Meg or The Kangaroo scene ever again. (laughs) That's fine. Here's the thing. I could, if I were to rewatch this film, and I almost feel like I might one day, Mm. I the minute that kangaroo stuff happens, I would skip fifteen minutes. Yeah, you you know you don't need to watch it. Well, it does, but it's broken up by them going to the pub for a brief stint. (laughs) They just stop to go to the pub for a bit. Do you know what? That almost that's what makes it worse. Is you feel like you've had a five minute burst of it, and then they go to the pub, and you're dealing with the fact that they've done that, and then they return at night for more. Mm. What an experience, man! Jamie, Jamie uh, has absolutely thrown the cat among the pigeons with the first pick for this year. Mm, absolutely. Uh, have you got anything to add from our Twitter followers? Did they have anything to say? Yes. Well, we have um, we have a comment from Luke, who's also one of our patrons. He said, "A visceral immersion into outback town culture, where the civilized man is the aberration who perceives every kindness as a slight." Justifiably disturbing, drenched in his sweat and beer, this should make every educated traveller reevaluate their tourist behaviour. Ten out of bloody ten, he says. Well. That's something. He's right. Isn't it? I mean he's right. <laughs> when you're right, you're right. <laughs> Don't go hunting kangaroos. It's an interesting guys. point about the tourist travelling aspect of it all. I like how people behave when they're yeah, you can't well, see. We touched into on it, it, but we didn't touch on it, and it's like, yeah. Well, what do you think he means by that? Reevaluate. He's saying if you're an educated person and you know better, why are you doing what these people are doing? Is it that, or is it because the way that I kind of view what Luke is saying is that he's saying if you think you're an educated person, you go to these places to look down at what they're doing. Maybe you shouldn't be so judgmental. Not that yeah, I'm saying he's, he's maybe. Yeah, he is saying that, yeah. I think he's it's essentially saying that. The aberration that. who perceives every kindness as a slight. Yeah, yeah. it's like, be more open to small town. Civilised mm. is quote-unquote, because he thinks he's more civilised than them. Yeah. This That's what's real interesting here. I would quite like to read the book that this was based on, actually. That might be a better way of experiencing it again. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, sure. I love the, I didn't even realise until after the fact that the sort of cover image that they use for it, at least on Amazon Prime for a long time, is the shot of Donald Pleasance with those coins over his eyes. I didn't even realise it was Donald Pleasance before watching this movie. Yeah, I've seen that shot. Yeah, I was waiting for that to happen. Yeah. I thought it was going to happen early on. Is that? It just looks like madness there, doesn't it? Pure madness. Pure madness. It kind of made me think of like some really religious person, like he's some kind of religious yeah. <laughs> figure with the crosses yeah. on his eyes. Well, typically you put the coins on the eyes of someone who's died, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, true, yeah. Dead inside, maybe. Yeah. Mm. Is that the only one? Uh, Yeah, that's all we got. That's all we got. Oh, very good. Thanks, Luke. And thank you, Jamie, for this cat among the pigeons pick. Yes. Thank you, Jamie. Are we talking about what film we're doing next before we talk about our patrons? Yes. Yes. Okay, well... uh, when I found out that we were doing 1971, I was I had a little browse and I was like, okay, this is definitely what I want to do. It was um, something none of us have seen. Okay. And I looked at it yesterday and I was like, oh, you cannot watch this anywhere. You can't even stream it. You can't buy it anywhere. Oh. And I was like, we can't do it. Do you want me to tell you what it was? What was it? 
The Devils. Oh, I've always wanted to see it as well. You it's can't not buy on anything. anywhere. You can't buy anywhere. Just not on anything. That's fucking weird. Yeah, so I was so sure we we're going to do that. But then I thought, okay, well, let's just do this. This descend into madness again and do Clockwork Orange. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> the Clockwork Orange, I armed and armed over whether or not I was going to pick it or not. I was going to see how the year was playing out. Yeah, I was thinking, well, this kind of suits the theme of this oh, last film. It certainly does. <laughs> Well, there you Sorry, go. Sorry, we've got to go into madness again. I am more than happy to watch that. Yes, I haven't seen it in so long, so I did what I've always wanted to return to it. So this seems like a good reason than any. I saw it in the cinema a couple of years ago, man. It was with Malcolm Excellent. McDowell. Clock, Malcolm McDowell. Yeah, you, you saw Malcolm McDowell There's do a, a Q&A, house. right? Yeah. yeah that's oh. cool. Well, you um, can tell us what, what he said on the podcast. I can't remember what it was. about six or seven years ago now. Deleted from your brain. Uh, you can buy the Devils, but it's fifteen quid. I know. What? Where can you buy it though? Like as in Amazon. a physical copy? Yeah. I know, but it's long, isn't it? It is. Then you got to wait for it to come. And, I know. Yeah. And then I've got to wait to watch it on something like on a screen. Well, there we go. We go Clockwork Orange, and we do our first Stanley Kubrick. Is it? Yeah, boy. Yeah. yeah. It certainly is. It's a big boy. I'm very much looking forward to going to that. Well, hell yeah. Absolutely. Excellent. Wicked. Should we talk about our patrons? Yes. Yes. So, every week, our patrons send us what they've been watching the past week, the best and the worst, and we tell you whether you should watch them or not, or whether we've seen them. If you want to become a patron, become a patron at www.patreon.com forward slash filmbusters. And you can become a patron just like the likes of Mr. Luke Bennett, who is our one of our newest patrons. Yes, and next we have Paul Mott, who has also signed up as a new patron. Beautiful. You also have Francis Ciberini. Yes, yes. You're very old school now, Francis. You also have Andy Bishop, my holiday friend. You also have fellow Ben from Film Floggers. You do. You have Mark and Steve from Movie Drone who are getting their money's worth. You have Brent <laughs> from Home Video Hustle. You have Mr. Luke Human, who doesn't judge the towns he visits when he's a tourist. <laughs> <laughs> You've got Sean Hannah Nicholson, who released his album the other day. Excellent, I need to get on that too. We also have Mr. Nerdrevert. We also have Mr. Julio Oliveira. Yes, we also got the person who bought us this year, and that's Jamie Russell. And then you have the Australians themselves. I hope they don't like killing kangaroos. It's Katie and Oti. Mm. I wonder what Katie and Oti would make of this. Oh, this would be a good one for them to watch, actually. It would. I reckon. Mm. As our only resident Every single second of it. Mm. I mean... Yeah, I don't think they would give it much rope. No, I don't think it's so. This will end up on a, a, a It's a white Australian film. It's a very, it's a, it's a, that, and that's the thing. That's another criticism which you could make of this film is that ultimately it's about oh, let's take a look at white men again. Let's analyse yeah. their issues. Yeah, they will hate it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't think you need to watch it, Katie. You know, you don't worry. No, I don't think so. <laughs> One thing I forgot to mention that is wild about this film is it's directed by the guy who did Weekend at Bernie's. Oh, is it? <laughs> do you reckon this movie thought, fuck this afterwards, I can't do this shit anymore. <laughs> I need he a light-hearted. He also did Rambo First Blood, but I haven't seen that. Hmm. That's a weird career. It is weird. <laughs> <laughs> he was all over the place. Yeah. 
What if you found out for a weekend at Bernie's they actually killed a guy for it then and then we're just filming it? <laughs> <laughs> but it was a real murder that them. people yeah. go around doing. He found some cannibals and he was like, okay, you can kill him, but I need him first and then you can have him. <laughs> now, I've got to say, Weekend at Bernie's is a more enjoyable watch than this film, but it's not a better film than this film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's more enjoyable. <laughs> sure. Uh, Right, first of all, we've got Sean Pano-Nicholson, and he says, Hello, Busters, it's me, Sean. I hope all is well with the Bustersville economy. How's the Bustersville economy? It's doing all right, I think, at the moment. We're in, we've got an advert. Yes. Yeah, we have. We've got an advert in a cinema, local cinema. We should talk about nice. that at the beginning of the thing, not about April Fool's. Oh, it doesn't matter. It only matters for us, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he says, My best is Peter Weir's The Truman Show. I hadn't watched it in a while, but god damn, it's just so good, so prophetic, relevant, timeless, and above all, really entertaining. Jim Carrey puts in his best performance, in my opinion. He's funny without going over the top, really lovable, and just as a joy to go on the journey with. Ed Harris, as the egomaniac Christoph, is subtly brilliant. Laura Linney doing adverts in real life is amazing. Damn, I really love this film. It's a 10 out of 10 for me. I. <clears throat> adore the Truman Show also so, Jamie Russell has mentioned the Truman Show in his review has he? yeah Ooh, he's not watched got, it we, but he's mentioned I'm just reading we, through it we got a, a pattern of uh, 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 appearing a pattern yes with uh, William C. Scott does it work a second time? it does <laughs> a little <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of Truman Show Ben? I like it I, I do, do like it, it. It is good. It's fun. Yeah. I think it's just a really clever idea. It is a clever idea. And it's pretty beautiful. And it's pretty heart heartwarming. Um, it was good. Ed, yes. Ed um, Harris? Harris? Yeah. yeah, Harris. I like him as a sort of godlike character as well. Yeah. And we've all been yeah. there as well. We've all fought it. Christoph, we've all fought we've been in Truman Show, yeah. He also said, worst is 1995's copycat, but the less said about it, the better. Anyway, I love you guys and keep making these wonderful listens, gems for my ears to enjoy. The world is a better place with the busters. Well, bless you, Sean. We love you, Sean. I don't even know what copycat is, so there's no point talking about it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know it. It is not a good film. It is well, a there you go. 90s thriller. Sigourney Weaver is uh, Sigourney Weaver was attacked by a man once and he subsequently went to prison because he tried to kill her and then she years later is sort of a recluse now but she I think she lectures on like psychology criminal psychology or something like that and then mm. copycat killings start happening but the guy is still in prison so who's doing it oh. mm. and it, it's just very bad okay it doesn't sound as interesting as it no it's not as interesting as it sounds then interesting premise appalling execution because almost every actor in it is terrible apart from Sigourney Weaver fair enough good old Scorny yep alright next up we have Jamie Russell and he said I've rewatched Pleasantville for the first time in at least a decade and it remains a delightful thought provoking film it reminds me of The Truman Show Oh, this approach mm. to considering how audience consume media as Toby Maguire's sitcom obsessed David is magically transported into 1950s small town America now, before you think it will be light and fluffy, I can reassure you that it finds a lot to chew on and its narrative explores such as issues such as racism, censorship and freedom. My daughter loved it as well. You, you said that with such ease. Yeah, you did. I read it very well. I read it before now. If I can That's read it before, good. I know, what, I know where I'm going good. with it. <laughs> have you seen, seen this film? I've never heard of it. I've only heard of it, really. I've just added it to hmm. the watch list, though. Mm, I'm going to add it to the watch list, too. Lovely. 
have to say, if I saw a film was being headed up by Tobey Maguire, I would tend to stay away from it. Mm. But, but it's got the uh, Reese it's got the affirmation. It has. From Mr. Teacher. The poster looks interesting. It looks very, what do you call it? Um, what was that show that Marvel did? WandaVision. Oh, WandaVision. Mm. It's a surefire way to turn me off it immediately. <laughs> He's never watching it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Thanks for that recommendation, Jamie. Hopefully it'll be a bit of an easier watch than Waking Fright was. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> and rounding up, we have Julio who says... <coughs> the new Dungeons and Dragons movie didn't need to be over two hours long. It's a cute movie, but it keeps teasing an ending, and that's ultimately what I'm going to remember the most about it. I had no idea they were doing this Dungeons and Dragons movie, and then when I went to see something, I think it was Scream, they had the trailer mm. for it, and I was like, mm. before I knew what it was, I was like, this looks rubbish, but also actually kind of entertaining. <laughs> I've heard it's quite good. I've heard it's I've fun. I've heard good things, yeah, some fun things from people. I'm game for it. I'm game for it. Uh, On the other hand, Richard Kelly's The Box, while a completely unnecessary expansion on Richard Matheson's short story was worth watching and came in at just under two hours, it loses its way in the middle act when it tries to flesh out a backstory for Matheson's original concept, but it actually sticks the landing with a heartbreaking final sequence. Kelly Kelly has only directed three movies, and I think everybody should watch all three at least once. Um, I haven't seen that. I believe that's the one with Cameron Diaz in it. Yes, yes. And some, I think I have seen the box. The, pr- the premise I saw it so long ago. The premise of the original story, I believe, is a stranger brings a box to you and says, "There's a button in it, and if you push <laughs> yeah, it, someone will you, die." I think. But you get loads of money. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, you have seen memory, it, and it, you give it one and a half stars, Paul. Yeah, from memory, it goes down <laughs> a really stupid route. Like, well, so are so unconnected from from what the original premise is that it's just like, oh my god, really? I won't even go into it because you might want to watch it. But yeah, I'd probably give it a watch if it's fairly easy to watch. Oh uh, yeah, he's a Donnie Darko guy. I think reconcile. Yeah, that. yeah, Donnie Darko. Mm. And Southland Tales is the other one. Oh yes, I haven't seen that one in a long time either. Mm. People, I think isn't uh, Alex a big fan of that? He is. From Contrarians, Alex. I think he is. Yeah. Mm. Well, thank you. Oh, just dropped my headphone case. Well, thank you, Julio. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, ben can go and watch the box, and I'll just stay away from it. Yeah. <laughs> and Adam will forget. You even mentioned it. Yes. <laughs> I've had it pleasant, Bill. Oh, good. Good. That's the end of the episode. Uh, we're going to go record our Patreon episode now. What are we talking about again, Adam? We're talking about our teacher protagonists. Yes. Just to follow on from the teacher that's in this film. And the teacher, that is Jamie Russell. That's all correct. Thank you. Thank you. I am correct. Um, if you want to become a patron, become a patron at www.patreon.com forward slash film buffers. Otherwise, we will go and see you on the Clockwork Orange episode. Wonderful. Wow, we were. Happy Easter. Happy Easter, everyone. Enjoy your Sundays. Toodle Make sure you get that Jesus rising from the cave. Feels <laughs> <laughs>